Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Air quality matters. Attention on this has only grown in the pandemic. Recently, Connecticut Public Radio's investigative unit, the Accountability Project, reported on the issue of air quality in schools. Reporter Jacqueline Rabe Thomas says a growing number of educators point to poor ventilation in their classrooms and other contaminants that are making them sick. And the state's largest teachers union says each year more educators are filing workers' compensation cases related to air quality issues in their schools. Today, where we live, we hear from municipal leaders who want Governor Lamont's administration to allocate funding to help schools update their ventilation systems. But the governor's office says it's not that simple. Coming up, we also talk to Costa Diamantis. He's deputy secretary of the Office of Policy and Management. That's the governor's budget office. You can join us too, 888-720-9677. That's 888-720-WMPR. Share a comment on our Facebook page or find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Joining us first on Zoom is Joe DeLong. He's CEO at the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, also known as CCM. Joe, welcome back to the show. Really appreciate it. So when we think about air quality in schools, obviously it's important, especially in the pandemic. But you know, when did municipalities start asking the state to help pay to upgrade these ventilation systems? Well, you know, I think obviously this has been an ongoing issue uh, for quite some time now. But the pandemic has really brought it to light. Uh, the pandemic brought it to light not only in terms of needing to have, obviously, good ventilation and good quality air for our students and our educators. But it also created an opportunity to at least begin addressing the issue um, through the allocation of significant amounts of federal funding, both at the local level uh, as well as at the state level. And I think that what our municipal governments really were asking for was, was not a bailout, not the state to say it was their, their problem or their issue, and they should handle it entirely, but really was a conversation with the state about a partnership on using, um, in the short term at least, some of this federal funding collaboratively to address the issue, and then maybe in the long term looking at a, a better way of doing this than how we've done it in the past and how a partnership going forward in the long term could continue addressing the issue going forward. So when did your towns request a meeting about this, and what was the response from the administration? Well, you know, let me say this. Normally when we reach out to the administration about any issue, the response that we get is typically a collaborative one. It's typically a response of, yeah, let's talk. We may not always come to agreement, but we're always trying to resolve these issues. But in this case, back in August, um, myself, along with some other uh, municipal officials, one of whom you're going to hear from later, had a meeting with a top-ranking member of Governor Lamont's administration. And in that meeting, what we said was, listen, the state will pay a portion of reimbursement for a roof. It's an end of life. 
the state will pay a portion of reimbursement for a window that hits its end of life. Can't we do the same thing for air quality? Can we have this discussion? And that administration official said, let me go back. Let me have some conversations and, and we'll get back to you. We'll see where we can go. And really the result of that ended up being some very bizarre public-facing type of comments where the administration never got back to us. Um, what happened was other administration officials started releasing statements about air quality issues, issues exist because towns haven't budgeted for proper maintenance without you know any evidence that that's true, number one. And number two, this was never about maintenance. This was about systems that got to their end of life. And then even some bizarre comments like, if, if you don't change the oil in your car, your engine block is going to break. Well, it really has nothing to do with this, but my follow-up to that would mean if you do change your oil in your car every 3,000 miles, does that mean that your car will run forever? So it was, it was really interesting how quickly and aggressively the administration pushed back and, and really weren't even willing to have a conversation about it but immediately went into a defensive posture of, of trying to shift blame back onto municipalities. And I just think during this critical time and, and the opportunity that we have in front of us, that, that that needs to stop and we need to hit a reset button and we need to figure out how cities and towns, the boards of education and the state can all come to get together to address this very important issue. Jill, before we hear from Costa, who's part of the governor's administration at OPM, your organization, your coalition has compiled a list of towns that uh, require air quality upgrades. Uh, uh, many towns, including Coventry, will hear from them this coming up, but how many millions of dollars are we talking? I don't know if we even know that full amount. And one of the reasons why we, we as, an, as an association, haven't been able to collect it is because up until this point, the state has pretty much told cities and towns, don't send us that data. We're not interested. We're not interested in helping you, so don't even apply. So, I, you know, really what we have is a lot of anecdotal evidence from communities like Coventry that you're going to talk to who have communicated with us and said, this is the price of our project. And when it's suggested that they can just use their ARPA funding, their, their local ARPA funding to cover it, what we're finding in some of these smaller communities is the price of one of these projects actually exceeds all of the ARPA dollars in which they've received. That's why I think that it's so important that there be a partnership in addressing this and not just a shifting of the blame. You're hearing Joe DeLong, CEO at the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities, as we talk about how there's a coalition of towns, uh, schools, uh, teachers, unions, asking the state for help to upgrade ventilation systems. You can join us, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, let's go now to Costa Diamantis again, Deputy Secretary of the Office of Policy and Management at the state of Connecticut. Uh, Costa has also been Director, I believe, of School Construction for several years now. So Costa, how do you respond to Joe um, in terms of, you know, why is the ventilation and air quality control systems not part of the existing school construction policy? Well, I, I think there's a couple pieces that we need to do first. And, and, and that is to correct uh, a couple of the comments. And one is, in fact, we asked for data. Uh, we asked for the information to be provided by the districts. The revised survey that we have done uh, which used to be called the uh, EDO 50 form that towns were used to submitting to let us know what's going on in their district. 
to include legislation from 2003 that requested they submit air quality uh, maintenance programs that they have in place and if they do in fact have it in place. And I would suggest to you even today Coventry who's online with us has submitted that form and has indicated they have a plan in place and it's effective. Uh, and they have no issues according to the survey submitted to us. So we do request the data. It is important to us to know um, the information. As a matter of fact, one of the comments about we have the life of a roof or a window, but we don't for, recognize it with respect to air quality. In fact, we do. The experts in the field, the companies that are out there that are oftentimes hired by the districts, uh, in fact, know as we do that the life cycle of a system ordinarily is 25 years, if in fact you maintain that system properly. Coincidentally, the life cycle of a roof is 20 years. The maintenance program, uh, the renovation program for school buildings, for instance, is 20 years. Because in fact, we recognize these systems at some point do fail and should be replaced along with the roof on a school, windows on a school. Recognize that codes change over a period of time. And the minute you begin making those changes, we update the school to include that. Air quality and proper ventilation and heating and air conditioning systems are part of our program. It's a mainstay of our program. I should also make it clear to you, no one in New England, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure anyone across the country, I know California is starting to introduce some, some type of assistance to uh, the more difficult districts who have funding issues. Uh, with standalone HVAC systems. It is a difficult proposal for many reasons. It begins, however, first with an assessment of the issue of the systems within the schools. All of the districts, like New Haven, New Haven did that, brought someone on board to in fact evaluate all of their systems and determine what those needs are. The experts in the HVAC system will tell you the majority of the fixes can occur on a local level um, and be, and, and be uh, uh, repaired. Now, if in fact it is a life cycle issue and the system has outlived its life and the school is not ready to be renovated, which I find very difficult to believe, uh, then we have to do an assessment of what those problems are. Is it controls? And if it's not, and in fact they need a new system, now we have to comply with ADA, hazmat issues, if we're modifying the system for new codes for carbon footprints, et cetera, we need to put a heat pump on the roof. Does that mean now is the roof strong enough? Do we need to repair the roof? So Joe is correct. The reason we don't know how much it'll cost because while a system may cost you two to $3 million, the installation of that system, depending on the school, the size may cost you 10, 12 and $14 million. Uh, Costa, Costa, I just wanted to go back to the I wanted to go back to the survey that you mentioned. So the administration sure. surveyed 1200 schools about their ventilation systems. Also, you know, when will you be releasing this indoor air quality report, this information that you have? Well, the report is not merely an uh, air quality. It's a piece of it to see how many uh, are the towns adhering to, in fact, the legislation in 2003 requiring them to deal with air quality. It's also about the age of the buildings and so on and so forth. We are massing the information of 169 towns. We still have roughly 50 towns that have not complied uh, with responding to the survey that was due on July 1. We've extended that uh, request time, uh, submittal time, twice now. 
but uh, we're going to be releasing the information, which at this point excludes 50 districts and some 300 schools. So whatever data we do release in the near future, which will be in another week or two, uh, it will be it could be skewed by those other communities that have not submitted their surveys uh, to us so that it can be part of the analysis uh, and the final outcome. But it will be released, as will the towns that have not submitted uh, their surveys to us so that we can analyze the uh, the situation out there in the age of schools. I wanted to get I wanted to get a couple weeks that I wanted to get Joe DeLong back into the conversation. How do you respond to what uh, Costa has mentioned? Well, you know, I, I think a lot of, of what he has mentioned is is reality and things that, that we need to, you know, that we need to cope with and we need to understand. But the fact of the matter is, even from Costa's response, it's it's always this defensive tone, this defensive posture. When we reached out to the governor's office about this issue, it was from a collaborative position saying, here's what we know. We know that our teachers are saying that there's air quality issues. We know that we have parents who are greatly concerned that there's air quality issues. And we know that there are end-of-life issues with some of these systems that do not qualify under the school construction uh, grant program the same way that roofs and windows do. Can we have a conversation about it when we have this unique opportunity of, of really having some funding, of having funding at the local level and having funding at the state level? And it's, it's always this very defensive backlash of we don't do this or we don't have this discussion. Now, as far as the data goes and the information that he's talking about collecting, I think the last time that the state actually released any of that data was like 2013. So to me, it's a little disingenuous to point to the 50 communities who maybe haven't responded when we're on a seven or eight year lag from even the last time that any of this information was ever released. So to me, again, what needs to happen here is that people from the governor's administration need to get with municipal leaders, need to get with Board of Education leaders and sit down and say, is there a better way? Is there a way that we can do this together? And, and by the way, Lucy, let me say this. The press conference that we had uh, you know, a week or two weeks ago on this issue that was with this growing coalition, what was really unique to me is I just picked up the phone and called some of these associations that represent educators, that represent boards of ed, that represent our superintendent, superintendents of schools, and I said, you know, we ask for a collaborative discussion, and this is the pushback that we got. Are you guys having any luck or are you engaged in this discussion? It was remarkable to me how all of them instantly expressed the same concern. You know, every one of them said, no, we need to do something about this because we've tried to reach out to the administration and we're getting this same uh, aggressive, negative backlash about the issue. I, I'm, I will say full, you know, full quote here. I have no doubt that probably somewhere along the line, very good communities in which I represent have probably dropped the ball or boards of ed have made mistakes or perhaps have even cut funding to maintenance and repair lines. We don't deny that and that that's a real problem. And we need to own that and we need to address the issue moving forward. But the fact of the matter is, at the end of the day, we're sending educators and students off every single day into school systems that do not have quality air. And that needs to be addressed by our leaders from the local level and from the state level.
We need to take a quick break. I'm going to have Costa Diamantis uh, respond to that. Uh, just after the break, we're also going to hear from the town manager in Coventry. Uh, Joe DeLong, thank you for joining us, CEO of the Connecticut Council of Municipalities, also known as CCM. You're listening to Where We Live, back after a short break. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. ECMO is a leading-edge, life-saving treatment for patients with cardiac or respiratory failure. Dr. Jason Gluck, director of the Mechanical Circulatory Support Program and Emergency Cardiac Care at Hartford Hospital, explains what it is. So ECMO stands for extracorporeal membrane oxygenation, outside the body oxygenation of blood. It's a life support technique that's used by highly sophisticated medical systems for patients with severe heart or lung failure. The technique involves removing blood from the body, oxygening it, and then returning it back. ECMO procedures happen in the ICU, but not all hospitals are equipped with the necessary technology and staff. Dr. Gluck describes Hartford Hospital's ECMO Go team. So ECMO is considered when treatments have failed, and in our center, with a special ECMO on the go team, we'll actually take that technology to their hospital and help them out there if they need to to stabilize the patient and then bring them back to heart for recovery. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. In a pandemic, good ventilation matters to prevent the spread of COVID. Local towns are focused on improving air quality systems in their schools. They want the state of Connecticut to help pay for new ventilation systems, many that are beyond their useful life. The town of Coventry has run into this issue at some of its schools. Joining us now on Zoom is John Elsesser, town manager in Coventry. John, welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here today. So talk, uh, locally, think, talk locally about uh, what you're seeing at some of your schools in Coventry. Okay. So um, prior to COVID, we started working on a, a project to replace unit ventilators uh, in our high school and middle school, which are kind of connected together. Uh, we have two other schools that have the same type of system. It's a very common system uh, that uh, most schools built over 30 years ago have these uh, unit ventilators. And for people to kind of understand what they are, if you've ever been in a hotel or motel unit, uh, they're kind of those units that you see under the window uh, and you know that they're very loud and they push air only from one side of the room so they don't circulate uh, air around classrooms uh, and um, they don't bring in a lot of outdoor fresh air. So um, they're not used anymore. Um, because school codes have changed, uh, especially about noise and, uh, and fresh air. So, um, you know, we were looking at, at uh, replacing them. Our schools are all uh, 1960s products. We've upgraded them. Uh, it's nice that uh, Costa has looked up our, our school uh, information that we submitted it. Um, not that we feel like we're being singled out here, but, um, we are designing a project and, and we started designing replacing unit ventilators uh, and we bonded for $1.2 million and then COVID kind of hit. So we had to stop because uh, the unit ventilators are not as effective at bringing in fresh air. Uh, our current unit ventilators cannot even handle the uh, recommended filters uh, to address uh, um, COVID. Um, so uh, our students are 
at, at, at a loss. Uh, and unlike uh, the New Haven schools that were mentioned, uh, most of those, I think all but two schools are brand new uh, within the last 10 years because the state gave them at one point 97% funding. So, uh, you know, if you needed a new school roof, you build a new school because it's cheaper. Now they've adjusted those. But uh, for smaller towns, uh, we don't get that amount of money. In a, and, and this all comes down to local property taxes. Um, so whether the state pays for it, uh, they have other revenue sources, uh, much broader than property taxes, but, you know, the legislature keeps on talking about towns, uh, and complaining about towns raising property taxes, but it's the way we fund education in, in our state. And that's un- different than other states. John, so to replace uh, the HVAC uh, systems at two schools, how much is that, how much is that going to cost Coventry? So right now, uh, the distributed air uh, system, which are basic rooftop units, was six point two million for the high school and middle school, and that that did not include air conditioning. Air conditioning could be added and run through those ducts, but current schools don't have ducts, so you have to like go in and add ducts to the whole schools. And uh, Joe had mentioned the American Rescue Plan funding. Is this something that Coventry can use uh, for these upgrades? Uh, certainly, it's eligible. Um, just to put it in perspective. Uh, we're going to get 3.6 million. Uh, so, if if that school project is 6.2 without uh, air conditioning, um, and we have two other schools, it doesn't go far. But the reality is, is that we also had to look at the other priorities for the American Rescue Plan, which included things like um, the state really pushed for using school money for catch up to learning. So, uh, you know, the schools using that money for summer programs to catch up to learning because that was the top priority of the state uh, department of education. And that's what our district did. Um, we also needed to look at, uh, re- you know, stabilizing the town itself and after school programs so parents could work uh, for our rec program. Our rec department lost several hundred thousand uh, uh, um, dollars because they couldn't run programs and bring in revenue. And that's important to get that reestablished. So parents can work the same thing with, being in school. Uh, so um, it's a major property tax increase that's, that we're facing if the school abandons its, its you know, what we believe tradition of assistant, uh, because again, um, we're a one trick pony in the state of Connecticut with property tax and uh, other states have income taxes and sales taxes. We don't have that. So that's part of uh, the reason that we need to look to the state for help. Uh, Costa Diamantis is here, Deputy Secretary in the Office of Policy and Management at the State of Connecticut. He's also Director of School Construction. Uh, so uh, Mr. Alcesser had shared with us uh, that um, when we there have been claims that some school districts haven't been maintaining their system, and he has an assessment letter uh, from a firm from Guilford that looked into school ventilation in Coventry, um, and it certifies it's not a maintenance issue, it's an end-of-life issue, and so Coventry, you know, they uh, insist they need help paying for it. So what more do you need from Coventry, uh, Costa, to, to see if the state can help uh, this town? Well, here's, Lucy, I, I need to, oops. I need to, um, uh, respond first to Joe. Um, one, of the, one of the things that I expect from folks if they're going to talk about the school construction program is really understand the school construction program and the construction requirements for the program and, and how we function. In fact, there's a reason the construction program uh, works the way it does. As for instance, in Coventry, um, Coventry High School is from 1961. 
Is it an end of life? It certainly is because since 1961, the school has never been completely renovated. Because if it had been, there would be a new system in that school at some point in time. So I am not surprised that it's an end of life system, but Coventry High School can in fact get a brand new system, a brand new roof, uh, since the last time the roof was repaired was in 1996. So we are prepared to help a town like Coventry and help them rebuild each and every one of their schools and have it state-of-the-art. That's that program. What Joe DeLong is talking about is creating a new program to deal specifically with HVAC systems and to what degree. That re does require a partnership. We have been advocating a partnership with the towns as we meet with them on an individual basis to discuss with them doing an assessment of their local uh, uh, systems, determine what the, what the issues are, and see what it is they need. We haven't even gotten to that point. What you hear Joe DeLong saying is, we need air quality money, but never identifying what the air quality issue is or what the systemic issues are that exist in the town. We need that information if we're gonna craft a new program. The school construction program is not that program. It needs to be something new. We've been saying that right along. And by the way, the survey by legislation was terminated in 2013 to create a new survey that served a more modern purpose and included more information. By legislation, it was to be concluded by July of 2021. And Joe should know that as the CCM uh, president. That in fact, that was by legislation and that's why it wasn't released because we were crafting a new one. And in order to work to be effective, the towns need to participate as partners so that we can assist them in their needs. But to suggest merely we have air quality issues, we've been saying that to the towns for the last 30 years, that they need to continually maintain their systems so that they don't fail and get to the point where it's a systems failure at this point. It's not merely a damper uh, or a control issue, but in fact, complete system failure. And that is tied to the roof, to the windows, to the walls, to code, to ADA compliance, and we build new schools. Those years come together, 20-year roof, 20-year system, 20-year windows, and 20-year life of the entire structure. So that in fact, our kids are in a school that is new, clean, effective, and state-of-the-art. That's why we have the most robust program in the country. So you responded to Joe. You responded to Joe DeLong, uh, who's no longer on the show. But John Alcesser is here, the town manager of Coventry. Uh, John, how do you respond to what uh, Costa has mentioned? Um, so first off, um, the state did help us add on an addition that connected our high school and middle school 21 years ago. Uh, so at that point, the state did an evaluation of our buildings, and we did a major upgrade. We replaced all our boiler systems in both schools. Uh, and air handling systems uh, and the roofs, which uh, again, he's been helpful uh, uh, on, on that because we're going out through the process right now to replace roofs this, this summer. Uh, so, um, you know, I'm surprised that he says we haven't looked at our schools since 1961. Uh, 21 years ago, we did a major upgrade. And I think if you go through our schools, uh, if, if somebody would actually like to come out, we welcome them to visit. We did have a meeting uh, with his staff uh, where they basically said, I'm sorry, we just won't assist that. Uh, we had an issue with the roof, which Costa was very helpful on resolving. So we appreciate that effort. 
but I'm, I'm a little stunned to say that we haven't been uh, spending money on our schools. And I, I think you've reviewed our, our report uh, that shows what we, we have replaced all the boilers um, and we're end of life of some of those 21 year old rooftop units for air conditioning that we do have for our gymnasiums and, and auditorium. And we have funds set aside for that right now as part of this project. But uh, we would like to be partners. and. Uh, but we also don't think that we have to build a new school. You know, we're a sustainable uh, community. Uh, we believe that you can repurpose and fix things. We don't have land. We don't want to tear up woodlands and, and, and forest lands. And we have very limited capabilities of sewer in our town. And, and we're at 95%. So building a high school, you really need to be on sewers. So I think there's an issue here where, uh, you know, a, uh, comparing us to a haven uh, is just not accurate because in the rural area, you have problems with access to water and sewer and land that's suitable for just building a school. And I think the most important he issue here is, is he promoting that the state spend even more money on building all new schools? You want us to build a new high school? You know, we're trying to replace the heating system at $6.2 million versus building a new high school at maybe 60 to $70 million. So, you know, let's work as partnerships to solve a cost-effective solution. Because it will Costa. save the state money and our local property tax monies. So Costa, building new isn't always the right solution. Costa, did you want to respond? Costa Diamantis, did you want to respond to Mr. Elsa? Yes, I do. Uh, as a matter of fact, I am suggesting it is time for a renovation of the schools when they get to that age. So um, it is penny pound and uh, penny, penny wise pound foolish. To, to think that even a building doesn't have an end of life uh, and we can renovate a building to include the systems that need to be changed. And in fact, we have an excellent program for reimbursement rates uh, throughout the, the state that is the best in the country uh, in reimbursing our towns and working with our towns to create new schools or renovate the existing school where it's appropriate. Uh, so I am continually pushing partnerships this is a new program we're talking about. If we're talking about something standalone, it doesn't exist. We'd have to create it from the beginning. There are no neighboring states that do it. We're willing to talk about what that looks like, but we need the towns to start the process by evaluating all of their systems and getting that report. And let's start talking about what those reports look like. Uh, meanwhile, the state used to publish a regular inventory of the health of school facilities. I believe that ended uh, when uh, there was a school funding uh, trial. Legislature scrapped it. So when we talk about getting more information, I mean, is this something that also needs to be public again, Costa? Um, I, I'm, if you're suggesting the uh, 2013 survey that we had suspended by virtue of legislation so that we can create a new one, absolutely, it needs to be. Uh, and we've gone and partnered with towns because we didn't want to put out a survey with 50 towns not on this list uh, because we didn't want to signal out any particular communities. I did Coventry because it was in the positive. If it was in the negative, I wouldn't have brought it up at all uh, because we don't want to uh, uh, not partner with communities. But yes, it, it needs to come out. It needs to be public. We need to know what towns are doing uh, with their, their age of the buildings and have those buildings also exceeded their life. And do they need to be renovated? You don't put kitchen cabinets in your house and you got a leaky roof. You try to do everything together so that you button up the building and it's brand new, it's effective, and it's efficient, up to date, current, so that the teachers and the students in that building have a 
air quality and a safe environment that, that they require. And that's how you do it. We're going to have to leave it there. Costa Diamantis, again, is Deputy Secretary of the Office of Policy and Management. And John Alcesser was here, town manager in Coventry. It looks like this issue won't be resolved anytime soon. We'll be sure to um, hear more of this discussion uh, coming up later uh, on where we live in the next few weeks and months. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you. This is Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. Before we continue our conversation, this is Connecticut Public Radio's fall membership campaign, and we cover a lot here on Where We Live, a variety of conversations. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you how to support this radio station. Good morning. I'm Diane Orson here with Holly Winters. We're taking just a few moments from where we live to invite you to join those people who have helped to bring you the program you're listening to today. These are people who step forward during membership campaigns like this one to make a donation to Connecticut Public. We're asking you today if where we live helps you to see the world in a new way, to kind of begin to sort through things and understand in part how and why things happen. If you've ever been listening to where we live and thought, gee, you know, I never quite understood things like that before. If that's you, why not do your part to support where we live in Connecticut Public? Here's how you can do it. Go online to ctpublic.org or give us a call at 1-800-584-2788. Hi, Holly. Hi, Diane. I have been looking through previous episodes of where we live, just sort of refreshing and and taking a little bit of a walk down memory lane, and I listened to the one today uh, about uh, finding a new state historian and the and New London's Black Heritage Trail, and there are you know several that I've listened to in recent times. Um, food scrap recycling may it be a, you know might it be a solution for us in terms of our waste crisis? There just the breadth and depth of what you hear on this program, the. Yeah, the broad spectrum of topics. Uh, I just really enjoy listening to where we live and have such respect and admiration for Lucy Nell Bethanchel as a host and her team who bring it to Connecticut audiences every day. Um, if you uh, join me in those, um, in those thoughts and feelings about where we live, I hope you will become a member now to support this and all of our hosted shows and programming and wonderful news and specials that you get at Connecticut Public. So please call 1-800-584-2788 or navigate to ctpublic.org on the internet and find us there to uh, become a member or to become a sustaining member or to renew. Uh, because bringing you where we live each weekday comes with a price. It's a price that public radio members voluntarily agree to pay. We're asking you today to chip in toward the cost of the program you're listening to right now. You're hearing where we live filled 
each day with topics that matter to you, where you're hearing that because other people have contributed in the past. And if you count on the quality of where we live to be here for you whenever, wherever you choose to listen, we ask you to understand that we count on you to do your fair share. We're inviting you uh, today to contribute as generously as you can. We thank you so much for all you do. Here's how you can support where we live and Lucy Nalpathanchel and her great team of producers. Give us a call at ctpublic.org or, oh, go online to ctpublic.org or give us a call at 1-800-584-2788. Holly. So another thing I really appreciate about where we live is Lucy and how she brings her whole self uh, as a host to this program. Um, I've had the opportunity to talk with her as a colleague here at Connecticut Public, and she brings the same sensibility, the same sort of um, uh, the same depth and honesty and openness uh, and curiosity to uh, where we live as she does to what she does here as a colleague um, and what she does here at Connecticut Public when she's not on the mic. I really love that natural um, approach that she has to her hosting um, as well as to her everyday um, contribution here at Connecticut Public. I, most people don't have the opportunity to meet hosts and talent at Connecticut Public, um, but you can have the opportunity to do something really incredible, and that is to support them and the work that they do that you have come to depend on. So I ask you with Diane, again, uh, to make that uh, membership commitment. Call 1-800-584-2788 or navigate to ctpublic.org. That's 1-800-584-2788 or ctpublic.org. If you've made your call, we want to say thanks. If not, we're waiting to hear from you right now. This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Earlier we heard how towns and the state of Connecticut uh, Lamont administration are at loggerheads about who should pay for new ventilation systems or to improve air quality in schools. Uh, joining me now on Zoom is Leila Leshevsky, CEO of the Local Moms Network. She's based in Greenwich. She's part of this moms group that's looking at statewide effort, how to improve air quality in schools. Leila, welcome to the show. Layla, can you hear me? Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Now, I understand your group uh, commissioned uh, uh, the lab, the Mayo Clinic Well Living Lab, to look at classroom air quality with and without HEPA air purifiers. Uh, what did it find? Yes. So we basically, obviously, there's been a lot of back and forth talk. Um, we're trying to act. So no one cares more than the parents of these kids. Um, and we find that nothing is more effective today than social media, which we're very strong on. So we've almost become the voice of the parents in our towns. Um, we did do a, uh, we had a couple simulations done at the Mayo Clinic through a company called Delos, um, which is basically the reason we wanted to find a reason why, um, you know, not only kids, but also teachers are struggling with things like respiratory asthma and other issues um, we strongly believe that better air quality is bigger than covid and we felt as though this is the first step in putting a protective measure in place you know outside of mass 
Um, you know, our moms on the ground, for example, our Westport moms yesterday just had a call with Scott Gottlieb um, to discuss, you know, and he believes masks are not permanent. So this is talking about, you know, not only um, sort of getting our heads out of the sand, but also creating a solution for healthier buildings. And that was why we wanted to uh, tap into the experts. Um, so we uh, worked with the lead virologist um, at Mayo Clinic uh, to get these simulations done. And through Delos, our partner, um, we found that after a year of you know research, we found that they were really the ones that were at the top of um, on the top of everything when it comes to healthier buildings. They have a well living lab um, permanently, actually, at the Mayo Clinic where everything is tested. Mm. So, in the findings that you shared with our producer Sujatha, uh, portable air purifiers supplement the classroom HVAC system and resulted in up to five times lower particle concentration in the air, improving air quality, and potentially infectious particles accumulated on surfaces at a rate of 30%, 33% slower when these portable air purifiers were used compared with the HVAC systems alone. And so, your group is proposing that HEPA units be in each classroom at a significantly less cost than what we heard earlier with uh, updating uh, HVAC systems uh, generally. Yeah, so updating HVAC systems can take years. Um, retrofitting HVAC is the best option in a perfect world. Unfortunately, retrofitting some of these schools is just not achievable, especially the older ones. This could require work way beyond HVAC. Um, you know, a school may need increased outdoor airflow through windows, which may need to be made operable or replaced altogether. Also, if you go into the walls of 40, 50 year old buildings, school buildings, you may have other issues to contend with, for example, asbestos and mold. Um, and this could create added costs and worse, a more contaminated building that may need to be closed, which is every parent's nightmare. Um, I say that as a mother of four. Um, so this is a cost nightmare and a hurdle to pass from a bipartisan point of view, something that is going to be needed to, um, something is going to be done to uh, address this issue, which is why we thought that the, in terms of getting a quick, less expensive solution, the um, air purification systems would be, the portable air filters would be a wonderful um, resolution to do almost immediately. I mean, these can be ordered you know, this week and we get them next week. And um, I go by one of my, um, I, I go by a quote from Dr. Ashish, which is a professor at Brown University, which is my alma mater. Um, he testified in front of the House Education and Labor Committee hearing last week. And his comment is very clear that it's not a funding issue. It's, you know, sort of a lack of leadership and playing politics with the safety of our kids. And no one as a mother or as a father wants to hear that. Um, you know, SARS spreads through the air, COVID spreads through the air. Um, Congress gave billions of dollars to upgrade schools and schools have had a year to do so. I think the one of the, you know, things I wanna highlight is just the lack of transparency across the board. We've approached officials on the local level and there is literally, they, they just sort of block us out. And I'm like, what are you trying to hide mm -hmm. here? Um, and Layla, but, but, Layla, you had mentioned experts. Uh, we wanted to just uh, have Dr. Thomas Murray weigh in. He's an associate medical director of infection prevention at Yale New Haven Children's Hospital. Uh, Dr. Murray, welcome. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are about HEPA-approved air purifiers in every class. Um, you know, the the impact it would have, not just on COVID, but just in general, when we think about 
about air quality uh, indoors and old buildings. Hi, um, nice to be with you today. And and I do think when you think about um, cost and effectiveness, uh, portable HEPA filtration is certainly a, a viable option, especially as was previously mentioned, how expensive it is to upgrade or replace um, HVAC systems. Uh, so I, I agree that they can be highly effective. And if you don't have enough money to put them in every classroom, then you can certainly put them in some of your higher risk areas where the nurses who will be seeing sick children in cafeterias where children uh, engage in eating and things that you can't use a mask for. Um, so you can even prioritize within the school which areas get the the HEPA filtration. And, and I would agree that um, not only short term, but thinking long term, um, anything to upgrade the air quality of our schools, uh, you know, COVID unfortunately will not be the last pandemic that we face. Um, we've had flu outbreaks before, we will have probably have them again. So it's really important to think not only about the short game, but the long game as well. I wanted to just uh, quote from this Connecticut Mirror article uh, that federal environmental officials have acknowledged poor air quality as a contributing factor to chronic absenteeism and long-term health issues, both for students and school staff. And um, it's important for all of us to think about that uh, even out after we get out of this pandemic. Um, Dr. Thomas Murray, thank you for joining us, Associate Medical Director of Infection Prevention at Yale New Haven Children's Hospital. Layla, we have just a minute left uh, in terms of getting legislative approach. What are you hearing about um, our support uh, from the General Assembly? Can this be replicated statewide? We have tackled this issue on a local level in our towns. Um, we are definitely looking to um, connect with those on the state level that can actually help us put some of this into action. Um, you know, in terms of doing our homework, like we really are presenting a solution that I believe legislation would appreciate because versus the HVAC solutions that cost about, you know, six million on average for a new retrofitted system in Connecticut. I mean, we have what, 11, over 1,100 um, schools in Connecticut, and that equates to over $6.6 .6 billion in total costs. This, that to me is like a dead on arrival approach. So versus us complaining, we wanted to find a solution to best tackle this kind of overhaul with an infrastructure bill by the federal government. Um, and the solution we proposed for the same project is in just Connecticut it is less than 80 million. Um, so you're looking at total ARP funds is 1.1 billion in Connecticut. The cost savings will be similar in every state. And at the end of the day, it's all about how much this is going to cost. <laughs> right. Well, Layla. Layla Lashesky, we're almost out of time. I do want to thank you for talking about uh, what you and uh, your fellow moms are doing about this very important issue. Layla is CEO of the Local Moms Network based in Greenwich. Also, again, thanks to Dr. Thomas Murray. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Today's show produced by Sujatra Srinivasan. Katie Pellico was on the phones. As I mentioned earlier, it's the first week of Connecticut Public Radio's fall membership campaign. We cover a lot here on Where We Live. If you support, want to continue supporting these kinds of conversations, and are the great station that we have here in Connecticut. Here are two of my colleagues to tell you more. You're listening to Where We Live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Diane Orson here with Holly Winters, and we are in our membership campaign taking just a few moments 
from the program will be returning very quickly, but we want to stop and ask you to consider the value of this program in your life. Where We Live has a unique take on issues in the world. It's an hour-long format. It allows for a deeper dive and a more comprehensive look at complex issues. If you value Where We Live, we ask you to value it by doing your part and making a donation to Connecticut Public Radio to help keep this program on the air. You can do that by going to ctpublic.org or giving us a call at one 800 584 for 2788 today to make your donation. Holly. Yes, so I'm also uh, looking at all of the various gifts that we have available. I know that for some of you who are listening, you are motivated by some of the things that we have available um, when you give at different levels. One of those, which is a very popular item, of course, is the L.L. Bean wreath um, for $12 a month as a sustainer. Mm. Um, You can get one of those lovely traditional balsam wreaths. Um, And uh, we know that you you all uh, enjoy that. There are other gifts as well. There are um, T-shirts. There are uh, hot and cold cups and all kinds of things that for some of you, you really enjoy that um, after thanks with, with a gift. So if gifts motivate you, please go to ctpublic.org and look online at the various gifts we have available um, during this drive, or certainly feel free to call and we'll tell you what those gifts are at 1-800-584-2788. Where we live is only here on Connecticut Public and your call-in donation right now lets us know that we're doing the right thing by keeping it here. Your financial support allows Lucine Alpathanchel and her great team of terrific producers the space and the creative freedom to bring you important topics, sometimes tough to hear, sometimes touching, sometimes funny, shows that are thoughtful and gritty, all here for you. You get the space on where we live to listen and participate through your calls and on social media, interacting. You can do your part in whatever amount you can comfortably afford financially right now to support where we live and all the programming on Connecticut Public. Here's how you do it. Donate at ctpublic.org or go to 1-800-584-2788. That's ctpublic.org or 1-800-584-2788. And thanks.